Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rody Fisher. Good morning and welcome listeners to On the Road with Jesus, where in Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, and we do welcome you here today. Father, I pray that you would search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way about me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Father, I pray that you would fill me full of your Holy Spirit. Fill us full of your Holy Spirit. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts, Lord, be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that you would be with me and my special guests, Carrie, as well as Sean, as we um, get through this show today. Father, we offer it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, um, I thought we should open up to Matthew, um, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, But let me just say a few quick things about Matthew before we jump in. It is the first book of the New Testament. Um, It's the first of the four Gospels. um, And um, Matthew is the writer of this book. And he was born in Galilee. He's the son of Alphaeus. I believe that's how he pronounces his father's name. And I think Matthew really thought, I'm just guessing... But I think Matthew really thought highly of Jesus because Jesus and appreciated him because Jesus selected him as one of the apostles. And the reason I say that is because here was Matthew, a tax collector, shunned and hated by most of the people at the time in those days. Um, the tax collectors were known for um, being a little shady, not being honest people. They worked for, you know, the Roman government, and they were given this quota of how much they needed to collect in taxes for whatever particular area, which, you know, Matthew was in charge of. And whatever they could charge more than that is what the tax collector got to keep. So they were constantly, you know, upping the number so that they could put more in their pocket. And actually, a lot of them became very wealthy people. Um, It talks about how Matthew invited Jesus into his home with other tax collectors and, um, you know, were able to buy food for everyone. But I think he really thought and appreciated Jesus so much Because here was a hated man, yet Jesus came for him. Um, As a matter of fact, let me go to Matthew 9, um, and Matthew 9, 9. 
hang, hang tight while I look for it. I'm just wondering if I, I'm going to, I think I put it in this one. Matthew 9, 9. Yes. Okay. And this is where Jesus is calling Matthew to follow him. And it says here in Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. So here was Matthew sitting in the collector's booth, tax collector's booth, and Jesus comes over and selects him. You know, Jesus came for the sinners. As a matter of fact, you know, it talks about how um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees said to Jesus, why are you hanging out with these sinners? And of course, you know, he says he came for the sinners. But um, we're going to just take that first line in Matthew um, where it talks about the gene genealogy of um, Christ. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. As a matter of fact, I'm only going to read the first verse. So it says here, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. On the surface, it, it looks like not a whole lot said. But in reality, there is a whole bunch said there. Number one, I believe that Jesus, um, you know, it says Jesus Christ, the generation of Jesus Christ. Matthew is already calling him the Messiah. He's, he's actually saying, pretty much declaring, Jesus is the Messiah. Also, when you look at that, he's saying the son of David, the son of Abraham. In speaking to his audience, he's talking to the Jewish people. He's saying, look, Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Early, <clears throat> early in this chapter, the first verse, he's He's declaring, you know, the Jews knew that they were looking for the Messiah through the seed of Abraham, also through the lineage of King David. And I find it interesting that right here he's saying the son of David, which is giving Jesus the regal, regal pathway through the king of King David, so he has the legal pathway, as well as, you know, Abraham was promised that his seed, if you if you read, Gen I'm sorry, if you read Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, it talks about Abraham, the promise that God gave to Abraham, the seed of Abraham. So, here Jesus has has kind of met those two areas. Um, and, you know, due to the destruction, correct me if I'm wrong, Carrie, destruction, destruction of the temple, I'm not sure if there's anybody today 
that can prove the lineage like Jesus has is here, which is actually okay because, you know, no problem. Jesus is already born. He's already here. He came here. He's already the Messiah. We're already claiming that he is. <clears throat> so through Jesus, the Messiah, we can be born again. As John says, he uses that term in John 3, 3. And let me just read that. It says, um, Jesus answered and said unto him, and he's talking to um, Nicodemus. And he's saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it's through Jesus, our Messiah, who came 2,000 years ago, that we can choose him and become born again. So, just that little bit that I got to speak on, I've got a guest that I'd like to introduce you to, and that is, um, his name is Carrie. Um, I think we met Carrie the year he was, he had accepted the Lord. We're talking... Um, almost 20 years ago. Yes, correct. So, um, Carrie, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Okay, Carrie, I'd like for you to explain to the listeners a little bit about your background, you know, as a child. Um, and go ahead and start. Okay, well, I was born to a Jewish family. My mother and father were both Jewish. We were affiliated with the Orthodox synagogue, but we didn't practice the full religion. We were non-religious Jews. Uh-huh. You know, we did keep kosher to the sense that we didn't eat pork, but we didn't follow most of the laws. But that was our religious affiliation, Orthodox Judaism. My parents even sent myself and my brothers to the Orthodox Jewish elementary school, uh-huh. where we spent the mornings learning religious studies and in the afternoon learning the other studies, the English, the science, all of that. So I grew up in a very Jewish environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, did you go to Jewish elementary school? I think I yes. remember you saying that you did. Yes, exactly. I went to Jewish elementary school. Yes. From the kindergarten all the way through the eighth grade, including junior high school. Okay. And then um, you went to yeshiva? Yeah. Let, let's talk about the last two years I was in the Jewish elementary school. Okay. Seventh and eighth grade. All right. Uh, our religious studies teacher, what we called our Hebrew teacher, was a very ultra-Orthodox rabbi. And he spent those two years talking to me and the other non-religious children in the class how important it was to become religious, to observe all the laws of rabbinic Judaism. Mm -hmm. And eventually I came to um, accept that, and I decided to follow what he was telling me and became religious. I started wearing the, the yarmulke, the kippah, the head covering, other Jewish clothes. I prayed three times a day. I kept the Sabbath, wouldn't ride in a car or turn on a light on Saturday, only ate kosher food that was, you know, um, ordained by the rabbis as kosher. And um, the thing that convinced me to do this was that he told us that if we didn't do this, we were going to go to hell. Oh, that's pretty impressive. It was scary. Yeah. I mean, I was, what, 12 or 13 at the time? Uh-huh. I didn't want to go to hell. And here's this rabbi telling me that if I don't do this, a Jew has to do this, follow the rabbinic 
you know, rules and the rules of the Torah. And if you don't do it, you're going to go to hell. Okay. Um, you mentioned a word, the Torah. Torah so is... It, for our listeners, yes. just tell us what the Torah okay. is. The Torah is sometimes translated as the law. Mm-hmm. It refers primarily to the first five books of the Old Testament, also known as the five books of Moses. Mm-hmm. In those five books contains the, the Mosaic laws, it's called, all the laws that God gave to the children of Israel through Moses. Okay. Now, later on in life, because this really, what he told me, impressed me, but later on in life, I decided to look in the Bible and see if this, I'm sorry about that, I, I decided to go into the Bible and look and see, is this really the case? Does it say anywhere in the Bible that the Jewish law is what determines whether you go to heaven or hell? Mm-hmm. And I came across uh, verses in the Old Testament, in the five books of Moses, that didn't say that at all. It said the reward and punishment for observing or not observing the law were contained in this world. And if it's okay with you, I would like to read a few verses from Deuteronomy. Would that be okay? okay? Yes, sure. So I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 17, King James Version. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather thy corn, thy wine, and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed to yourselves, that your heart not be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, and lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. So you read that and you thought... He's not right. Okay. Okay, so um, you're still in elementary school, right? So I go back to the rabbi. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, I've accepted the Jewish law, I've become religious. He says, there's one more thing you have to do. What is that? You have to go to yeshiva. Now, yeshiva is basically a rabbinical school. Mm-hmm. After I graduate the elementary school, I need to go to a rabbinical school that contains a high school and study there. So you actually have to move in a dorm room, or do you still live at home? Well, the problem was there was no yeshiva in our area that was acceptable as a school. And the one that was presented to me as the place I would go to if I were to choose a yeshiva would be several hundred miles away, and I would have to live there. Okay. So you did what? I went. Okay. So the good Jewish boy that you are, you went. Yes. So tell me what happened there. Well, it wasn't what I expected. Yeshiva was not at all what I expected. You know, I was hoping for a spiritual experience, emotional experience, love of God, kindness between everyone, and it wasn't like that at all. In fact, it turns out it was almost purely an intellectual experience. In the rabbinical school, we didn't even study the Bible. We studied something called the Talmud. The Talmud was an encyclopedia-sized set of books written by the rabbis, 
starting around the time of Jesus up to maybe the 7th century. And it was filled with arguments between the rabbis over the finest minute points of law, hair splitting. This is what we were studying Mm -hmm. all day long. It was not spiritual. It was not emotional. I felt depressed. I felt empty. It didn't fulfill me uh, emotionally or spiritually. So, Carrie, let me ask you this. Did you, while you were in yeshiva, did you ever open up the Bible? Because I, I know that I, I watched Yentl, and they, they did study some of the books of the Bible, didn't uh-huh. they? Yes, we did. Now, so tell me what the, that experience as was. As far like. as studying the Bible goes, the five books of Moses is divided into 52 readings that is read every week. Mm-hmm. And we were studying that on our own. It was called the Parsha Sashavua, or Parsha Sashavua in modern Hebrew. You would read a certain section on your own, and the rabbi would give you a test. We never actually studied it in class. But occasionally, we would have a half an hour class on the, the prophets, and we would read from one of the earlier prophets and study Joshua, Judges, Samuel 1 and 2, Kings 1 and 2. But there seemed to be a wall, a line, that was put in the Bible, a do not cross line. We never studied the latter prophets. Anything past Second Kings, except for maybe the Psalms and the Proverbs, was not studied. And one day I was kind of curious about that. Mm-hmm. So I went to my teacher. The rabbi was my teacher. We called him our rabbi. Rabbi was the word we used. I said to him, Rabbi, I don't understand something. We study the Talmud. Okay. We study the five books of Moses. We study the earlier prophets. Why is it we never study the latter prophets? Right? We're here all day studying. Why don't we study the rest of the Bible? And I just said to him, for example, you know, in, in the Hebrew Bible, Isaiah is one of the first of the first books after that line. I said, why don't we study Isaiah? Uh We never go into Isaiah. We never study it. You know what he said to me? He said, do not study Isaiah. You will not understand it. If you absolutely want to study Isaiah, you have to have a rabbi teach it to you so that you can understand it properly. Mm -hmm. I I could see where they would want to be there when you studied Isaiah because there's some, you know, prophecies that are in Isaiah – about our Lord Jesus Christ, that it's as plain as day. So I could see where they would probably want to steer you away from that, especially being Jewish. Well, exactly. If I may tell you, after I later on in life got saved, had my complete Bible, I went in and read Isaiah. Because I was curious, what's in here that they don't want me to see? May I read to you a few verses from Isaiah that really caught my eye. Are we going to Isaiah 53? Let's start with 714. Oh, 714. I have a few of them here. Isaiah 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God is with us. Yes. A son whose God is with us. And then I went up to Isaiah 966. For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
And then I came to Isaiah 53. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter right now, but I will read one verse from Isaiah 53 that really caught my eye, and that's 53.5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. No yeshiva rabbi would want his students to read that. (laughs) And then I'd like to read one more verse, which doesn't address Jesus but addresses the rabbinical Jewish system. Isaiah 29.13. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. I said, human rules? Could this be referring to all the rabbinic laws that are in Judaism, that are not part of the Bible, not part of the Torah? No rabbi would want me to read that either. So it sounds like you were really searching when you started reading that. I was already saved when I read that. Oh, you were already saved? I was already saved when I read that because after I was saved, I remembered that conversation from my yeshiva days and wanted to investigate that and see what I would not understand in Isaiah. It was pretty clear to me, though, what it was saying. Right. And I understand why he didn't want me to read that. Exactly. So, Carrie, let's go back a little bit. So you're still unsaved, and you're um, you're in uh, yeshiva. Correct. And um, did you come to a place that you left yeshiva and decided that this wasn't for you, or did you continue on and graduate? I continued on, completed high school, and started my first after high school year. But at that point, I was disillusioned. I was not happy, and I eventually made the decision to leave yeshiva. Okay. But I decided to remain religious after that. And did so for two more years. Right. I can see why you didn't want to go to hell, so yes. So, But it got to the point where it was just too much for me. I was too sad, too depressed, too unfulfilled. There was nothing spiritual about it anymore. And I just got to the point, I just can't do this anymore. So you didn't want to be be the religious Jew, so you became a secular Jew? That's exactly what I decided. I decided... I'm not going to be religious anymore. I'm going to be secular and live a life without religion. Okay. Although maintaining Jewish identity, but not being involved in religion anymore. And I added to that moving from New York, where I had been most of the time up until then, Uh and I came out to California. Okay. Good place to pick. Good place to pick. Start a new life. So you, you come out here and you're you're just pushing your Jewishness aside, I mean the religious part of your Jewishness, um, and you just not go to temple, you don't wear the yarmulke anymore and any of the other Jewish types of clothing, you, you just live a secular life. Right. Um, do you begin to date? Do you, um, where, where are you in your... Um, What happened afterwards? Right. Excuse me. Well, I'd like to tell you that living a secular life didn't turn out very well. 
Okay, tell yeah, me about that. It also was not what I expected. What happened was I came to California and first, actually, I got approached by some Christians. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, why don't you join our church group and be with us? And I said, I can't do that. Even though I'm not practicing Judaism anymore, I'm still Jewish. I can't go to a church. So they said, okay. And then another group came to me that were from the Baha'i religion. Okay. I don't know how well people know about Baha'i. It's a religion that originated in the Middle East. And to, to, to put it in a nutshell, they believe in peace and unity. And they asked me if I would join them. And I said, no, I didn't want to join. I didn't want to be in the Jewish religion, but I didn't want to join any other religion. Mm-hmm. So without any religion, I started to see that if you don't have God in your life, there are other things that are going to try to come into your life instead. Uh And I started to see, and I'm not going to be specific, that there were things that wanted to come into my life that were not good. And I said, I can't do that. So I decided I was going to try to rejoin the Jewish community but not be religious. And I actually found a small congregation Uh that I became a part of. And I wasn't religious, but I did, you know, socialize with these people, go to their synagogue services. I even volunteered to read the Torah scrolls for them. In a Jewish service, they read from the five books of Moses on a parchment scroll. And the parchment scroll is the Hebrew letters without punctuation and without vowels. So it's not something that's simple to do, but I knew how to do it. Uh So I volunteered to do that. So I was reading the Bible again, which was a good thing. Yeah. I mean, that was the good part of it. And it went okay for a while. But unfortunately, the rabbi did not feel financially satisfied by this congregation and decided he wanted to move his congregation to another place where there were more affluent Jews so he could build a bigger synagogue and have more money. And, I mean, I'm not... I mean, this rabbi was a good rabbi as far as, I mean, he was very good to me, but this move, his decision to place money above the needs of his congregation really gave me a very bad taste again. Okay. Thank you, guys. God bless you. We love you. God bless you all. Thank you. That's the end of part one. Tune in next week for part two of this program. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com, spelled R-A-H, Fisher, at ontheroadwithjesus.com. with Jesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher.